This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Earlier this year, the Government Accountability Office came out with a report that suggested that the retirement portfolios of federal workers should be reviewed because of the potential losses due to climate risk. Now, you may sit back and ponder how those two are connected, climate change and retirement savings. Olivia Mitchell, director of the Pension Research Council here at the Wharton School, joins me in studio. She is also professor of insurance and risk management, as well as professor of business economics and public policy. And this is an area she is focused on. And a pleasure to see her in the studio. It's a very great pleasure to be with you today. You are our first person back in studio since we've been back here, and it's great to see you as always. Thanks, Olivia. That's awesome. So connect the dots here with these two, because uh, again, a lot of people would be like, climate change and retirement risk, there's a connection there? Absolutely. And it's very interesting that the GAO has uh, been asked to evaluate that connection and to offer a recommendation regarding the federal thrift saving plan, known familiarly as the TSP. Um, One of the big issues that people are worried about in pension land is that the typical traditional portfolios that the pensions plans have been holding may not perform well with the advent of climate change. So, for example, um, holding uh, fossil fuel companies, extraction companies, holding um, companies that are involved in other kinds of, um, exposed to other kinds of climate change. I mean, we've seen before us in just the last year and a half, floods, fires, drought. It's almost like the the, the pestilence is written about in the Bible. Um, and moreover, it's likely that this type of result of climate change will continue. In fact, the United Nations had a big report, I think was issued yesterday, suggesting that actually climate change is already here. It's not right. a question of 10, 20, 30 years in the future. So the issues with regard to pensions Um, are that many people are hoping to be able to make what they're calling green investments. Investments which will um, avoid, in certain cases, the fossil fuel companies or other types of firms that are seen to be doing ill and select and engage with companies that are trying to make windmills or uh, alternative power generators and what have you. So... um, There was one interesting UK study put out by a group called Make My Money Matter, right? (laughs) And what they estimated was that if a typical pension portfolio of, say, 100,000 pounds were moved from traditional to sustainable investments, that this could save 64 tons of carbon per year for that one person's account, which is nine times the usual carbon emissions that a typical UK resident would put out. So this was viewed as being very, very positive. And increasingly, you can see, even in the US, if you try to book a flight, at the bottom of the front page, they'll say, would you like to purchase a carbon offset? So people are becoming attuned to this, aware of it, and they now want to put their money where their mouth is. But it it sounds like, to a degree, that part of this is 
also the, the, the people that are around the investment options in general and the options that are available to people and degree. And I think this is something we've talked about at times, uh, people having their investments, but to a degree, not really focusing on what those investments are, the impact that they have, kind of just letting them sit there and not really acting upon them. Well, that's true. About 52% of Americans own any stock at all, and the vast majority own it through their retirement plans. Very few people own direct stock. Um, So whatever the retirement plan does is going to be what they end up holding. And in the U.S., we've had a particular challenge because there's a very important rule, which was passed back in 1974 under ERISA, the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, which said that pension plan fiduciaries must invest only for the beneficiaries. Mm -hmm. And that has been interpreted over the years as meaning you can only take into account risk and return, financial criteria, not green criteria, not ESG, meaning environmental, social, and governance criteria. So the U.S. has been much stricter about this, and the pendulum has swung back and forth. It's apparent that the Biden administration is going to review and probably reissue these regulations, but still, it's a much tougher hill to climb in the U.S. In Europe, it's taken over like wildfire. Mm -hmm. So Pretty much the whole EU has moved toward requiring firms to reveal their economics, uh, environmental, social, and governance stance, and also um, for investors to take this into account when choosing portfolios. Well, and, and I know that there is much more of a recognition, especially in the last few years, of the ability to be able to invest in some of these areas and still be able to make them profitable as well. I I don't know if we're fully there yet, but certainly the, 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 the pendulum is churned quite a bit on that in the last few years. We had a conference here at Wharton. Actually, the papers are posted on the pensionresearchcouncil.org website for anybody to download free. And the topic of the conference was, should pensions invest in sustainable assets? And one of the things that came out very clearly for me was the fact that lots of people like it, especially younger people, millennials, like uh, ESG investment. But Um, We're still a long way from reaching a coherence of opinion around what constitutes ESG. The metrics are all over the place. There was one fascinating picture where uh, uh, Roberto Rigobon from MIT had displayed all the different metrics for all these different companies. And it was a cloud of points. There was no rhyme, no reason, no line through it. They're they're not very correlated. Mm The other point is that the evidence on green investments is still very short run in nature. Yes, it's true. During the pandemic, companies that were greener tended to perform better, Mm -hmm. but they also tended to be the ones that didn't have fossil fuel, that weren't uh, polluting, et cetera, because that's what happened to the economy. People stopped traveling, people stopped um, driving, et cetera. So I would say the evidence is still not completely clear. How much does it potentially impact moving forward the fact that there is more of a recognition by the public about some of these investments and that, that they are a, a potential path to you know financial uh, stability? 
ability when you're uh, getting to your retirement age, just the, the knowledge and to a degree also uh, the, 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 the disclosures that a lot of companies now are having to do more so than maybe a few years ago. Well, the disclosures are coming, but the Securities and Exchange Commission has still not come out with a very clean statement about what has to be disclosed, how impactful the company has to reveal that those risks may be. Um, So it's it's still a work in progress, I would say, in the U.S. Now, um, another point to note is that only about 2% of 401k plans allow ESG investments in Hmm. their portfolios. Now, some of them um, allow you to select, like the federal TSP, select among the five investments. But starting next year, they're also going to allow you to go through a brokerage window where you can buy other mutual funds that are legit and and credible, and they can be uh, green funds, if you wish. But we'll see how... um, popular it becomes in practice. So this is really kind of very much in the early stages of where we may probably be in the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years in terms of thinking about investing in ESG and thinking about, you know, climate risk as a significant concern. And and obviously that focus has to be now because, as you mentioned, the focus is even more so on the impact of climate right right at this particular time. Absolutely. And it's very much the case that... um, Other countries have made great strides ahead of us. On the other hand, as I said, it's not always obvious which uh, what the result will be and how favorable or how unfavorable. Now, some people don't mind making a little bit lower return if they have uh, green investments. But typically, retirees care about their returns in their portfolios. And so to be able to do both at once would be ideal. It's it's an interesting dynamic there because, as you said, People that are getting close to retirement obviously are really focused on it. But And if you have talked about this with me on the air a lot, about younger generations really focusing on their retirement funds in their 20s so that they can maximize as much as they possibly can in that retirement. And part of that is looking at these types of investments. Absolutely right. And the other question, of course, is that nobody really knows specifically what impacts there will be. So, for example, I have a friend who uh, studies wine auctions. He loves good wine. Mm -hmm. And he's been tracking the impact of climate change on wine-growing parts of the world. He says China has some of the best uh, wine country that has yet to be developed. So there will be places (laughs) in the world that do better, Obviously, anybody living on a floodplain or on in the U.S. on, on the coast is going to be in very dire straits, most likely. By the way, this is all the flood potential is already having an impact on coastal property. Last yeah. year, it's been estimated that uh, the value of coastal property dropped seven percent in a time when all other housing costs are going up. Well, except for realistically, the the, the business realty sector, because when you think about uh, you know the issues around malls these days and and other you know kind of investment properties. This would just add another layer to what is, you know, has already been impacted over the last few years as well. Absolutely. And since we know, I mean, pensions are worth on average about 20 percent of the um, retirees overall wealth as of age 65. 
private saving about another 20%. Home equity is another 20%. Sure. And the other 40% is Social Security, which we've talked about other times. <laughs> While we have you here, let me touch on that for a second. And, and that's been obviously one of your really important focal points o- over the time we've talked on the show is where we're going with Social Security. And is it going to finally be addressed Maybe in this administration or down down the road, but not that far down the road because we're still looking at what, like 2036, 2037 at the latest before the uh, the fund would run out? That's what the last Social Security um, Board of Trustees discussed. But this year, the trustees are very late. They have not issued their report and it's August. They're supposed to put it out in March or April. So nobody really knows what the numbers are going to be. But it seems that the date of insolvency of Social Security has crept sooner, perhaps as early as um, uh, 2029. So that's in eight years. And that's partly a function of a lot of people having lost their jobs, so they're not paying in Social Security. Um, Some people have retired early, so they're claiming earlier and therefore drawing down. Um, that's still the, the pattern is still to be completely revealed, however, because with the stimulus checks and with unemployment checks, people held off retiring. Mm-hmm. So in the next six months, I think we'll have a better sense of what's going on. What's the overall, your overall kind of view, viewpoint on the state of retirement savings at this point because of a lot of these elements that have been in play here over the last few years? I wish I could be more optimistic, but, uh, you know, in the wake of the pandemic, we've had persistent low retirement returns um, on bonds and on investments. Um, I think people are just going to have to work longer if they possibly can. And if they can't, they better start looking about where to move, where they're not subject to drought, fires, floods, hurricanes, and all the other things that climate change is going to bring with us. We're joined in studio uh, by Olivia Mitchell here of the Wharton School. You mentioned uh, about the impact of of ESG, and certainly there's more and more focus by companies uh, of that as a component. And really, in part, I think it's... It's partially a recognition by the company itself, but it really, I think in many cases, it's being driven by the employees who want to have their firm, their company that they work for, more involved in the area around ESG, and then that potentially has that trickle-down effect. That's certainly the case, and it's certainly true in specific sectors like the electric car industry, for sure, where everybody is a a believer. Now, obviously, electric cars um, still need electricity to power them. And typically, electricity, at least in the U.S., comes from fossil fuel or nuclear plants. And so, you know, we've just pushed back the risk a tiny bit and not necessarily solve that problem. Solar, obviously, is more um, cleaner, but it's also more cumbersome. But there's certainly more and more options out there right now than, than ever before in these areas and, and more interest to be able to be involved in them. I think that's right. I think that the other issue when you're thinking about retirement is you should really contemplate um, downsizing, buying an electric car, maybe growing a a vegetable garden, (laughs) right? Because we're going to need to be more self-reliant in this new world. Great to see you. Thanks very much for coming in. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. Olivia Mitchell from here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.